Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. Lots of volatility today in the world's financial markets. The stock markets went on roller coaster rides. The uh, Chinese market had its biggest drop in, I think, several years. The uh, Shanghai was down about uh, 5%, I believe, overnight. And that set a weakening tone pretty much around the world. The European markets all uh, sold off. The Dow at one point was off about 200 points, which I guess in the scheme of things is not that big a decline. And in fact, the Dow Jones only finished off about 50 points. I think the more significant moves, though, were going on in the foreign exchange markets and in the precious metals market. Let's talk a little bit about the foreign exchange markets first. Probably the biggest mover was the Japanese yen, which, of course, the yen had been falling uh, precipitously uh, for the last month or so. The yen at one point intraday was up about 2.5% against the dollar. But by the time trading ended in New York, it had kind of cut those gains in half. Uh, But we were almost down at 118 after trading closer to 122 just yesterday. I mean, the yen made a new seven-year low yesterday before uh, staging a bit of a rally. Now, the question is going to be, is this the beginning of a bigger move up in the Japanese yen? You know, it's interesting. I'm watching on CNBC. They're talking about the big move up in the yen. And the graphic on the screen reads, yen plunges. Again, this is an example of the good is uh, bad, black is white, So the yen is up 2.5%, and it's described as the yen plunging. The yen wasn't plunging, it was rallying. The dollar was plunging. But, you know, if you believe that a weak yen is good for Japan, then the yen going up would be a problem. And so the way you describe a problem would be, oh, a plunge, right? Oh, this is terrible. The yen is plunging. But, yes, the, the exchange rate is going down, right, from 121 down to 118, but if, if you look at it that way, it's like a plunge. But it's not a plunge. 
it's a rally. It's the dollar plunging against the yen. Now, I don't know if the person writing the graphics doesn't understand this or uh, if this is just how they describe it, because it's bad news, right, for Japan if the yen gets stronger because they all want the yen to get weaker because they believe that that is uh, going to be good news. But in fact, you know, the Japanese economy is suffering under Abenomics. The irony of it is, you know, Abe is supposed to win in the landslide in the election coming up later this month. You know, they called this election. And, uh, you know, the fact that the economy is so weak, Abe is able to say, well, now you really need to vote for me. Give me a bigger majority. And I promise to do something about the weakness in the economy. The irony, of course, is it's weaker because of what he's already done. So if you reelect him, if you think the economy is weak now, wait till you see how much weaker it gets if we give him a bigger majority. Now, maybe, though, maybe Japan is actually getting closer to the end of QE. I mean, everybody assumes that the Japanese yen is going to keep on falling against the dollar and that, you know, it's going to plunge, right? And really plunge, not, not like today where it went up, but a legitimate plunge. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that they're actually going to do that because they would so decimate the Japanese economy. If the yen went down, you know, to where it was 150, 170, I'm hearing people talk about that against the dollar. I mean, if the Japanese think the economy is bad now, where do they get a load of how much worse it's going to be if you get that kind of drop in the value of your currency? And that would happen if the Japanese, you know, continue on this, uh, you know, Harry Carey, uh, kamikaze, rather, uh, monetary policy. So what would surprise a lot of people would be if the Japanese uh, end up winding the stimulus down, even, you know, or winding the QE down, even if Abe uh, gains a, a bigger majority uh, that he won't pursue this policy. He might try more structural reforms that might actually bear fruit as opposed to just trying to debase the yen, because they've already debased it a lot, and the results have not been good, right? They've actually been the opposite of, of good. But we'll see if this move that we got overnight is the beginning of a bigger move up in the yen. And of course, if the yen is going to have a rally, and there certainly is a long way for the yen to go to the upside, given how far it's fallen and how quickly it's fallen and how negative the sentiment is on the yen, um, I would not be surprised to see the yen rally here. And that could have some big implications for equity markets, for the precious metals markets. And also, before I get to that, in talking about the euro, the euro was also uh, quite a bit stronger today. It finished off the highs, uh, you know, about 123 and three quarters, you know, 1.237 or so. I saw the euro uh, at one point well above 124. The high was maybe like 124. Uh, and a half or 124 and a quarter or something like that it got up to. But the dollar was weak across the board. Uh, it could have been weaker, but it was weak. And it's fallen out for the last couple of days against the euro. The other trade that everybody is taking place on, taking, uh, play, you know, taking part in rather, is the short euro trade. So you've got another situation where everybody is on the same side of the boat because everybody is sure that Europe is going to do QE next year that they're going to be buying sovereign debt. Again, I wouldn't count on that happening because not only is Germany very much against that kind of a QE program, but you know Switzerland, and I haven't even discussed this angle yet, but Switzerland is probably going to be a big factor in maybe preventing Europe from doing full-blown QE. Because remember, they just voted down 
the Save Our Swiss Gold Initiative. And the Swiss Central Bank and the Swiss government really cooperated. They had a full court press to convince Swiss voters how dumb it would be to actually back their currency by gold instead of euros, right? Well, now that they've done that, now that they've led the charge for backing the Swiss franc with the euro, the last thing they want is the euro to go over the edge of a cliff because then the Swiss franc has to go over the same cliff. So the, the, the one country that probably would be even more opposed to QE in Europe than Germany is Switzerland. Because if Europe launches full-blown QE, imagine how many euros and how many European bonds the Swiss government is going to have to buy. The Swiss National Bank, they've already ballooned their balance sheet. They'd have to balloon it even more. So I think the Swiss can influence a lot of pressure. And they have a lot of cards here. Because if they abandon their peg, that's going to be very problematic for the euro. So it might be that they could say, look, you know, we've got your back here. We, you know, we convinced our people not to vote for gold backing. Instead, you know, we're married to the euro and, and you're going to behave, you know, and, and, and you can't go out and do QE uh, because then we're going to want a divorce. And so if Switzerland joins uh, some of the stronger eurozone countries, because basically Switzerland is now a member of the eurozone. I mean, forget about it. They might as well be there. Uh, Switzerland might as well be in the euro because de facto they have the euro. But they also have a lot of say then in European monetary policy. And the last thing they want to do is have to monetize their share of Eurozone QE. So it's very possible that Japan winds down its QE program and that Europe never launches it. But that America, rather than being the one country that's not doing it, is the only country that is. Because again, all the economic data, just throw out the GDP numbers and the, and the jobs numbers, which I think are going to turn. Look at all the other economic data that's been coming out. It's been horrible. I got an article about that uh, on the Europac website today. If you haven't read it, check it out. It's called uh, Data Driven or Driven Data. But read that article, and I really highlight some of the really bad economic news that has come out in the last few weeks that really hasn't gotten any press. It's all been overshadowed by GDP and jobs. But all of this data is extremely negative. And I think the jobs data and the GDP data is more backward looking and more a reflection of optimism that is, in fact, unwarranted. And when the bloom comes off this uh, recovery rose, I think you're going to see some strong reversals in GDP and the jobs data. But the people who are just looking in that rearview mirror and they think the coast is clear, they're about to go over the edge of a cliff. But let's get to the precious metals market. Gold was up almost $30 by the close. In fact, intraday, I think I saw it as high as maybe up 35 A very strong day in gold. Silver also up better than, I think, $0.70 cents on the day. Uh, gold and silver stocks, of course, uh, very, very strong. Gold, this is the highest close since, I think, late October. We actually closed above the high that we achieved, the, the big reversal day when the Swiss voted uh, down the Save Our uh, a Swiss Gold Initiative, and where you had like a fifty-day dollar reversal in gold, where it was way down and then way up, we closed above that peak. Uh, so very strong day. In fact, interestingly enough, even as the Dow Jones recovered three quarters of its losses from earlier in the morning, the gold market barely surrendered its gains. I mean, it gave up a little bit from the highs, but it it held on to the lion's share of its gains. So even as the stock market rallied back. The gold market didn't sell off. So it had a very, very strong day. We'll see how it trades later in the week if it can build 
on this momentum. And also, again, the Dow, uh, will the Dow continue? There was a lot of the buy the dip mentality in the Dow. It's still there. In fact, the Russell uh, 2000, which was down sharply in the morning, right? That had the biggest volatility. The Russell 2000 was down about 15 points and it closed up 20 points. Huge, huge rally, 35 point interday rally. Uh, lots of buying on the dips. In fact, this morning, the Russell 2000 was back negative for the year. Negative for the year, which meant it performed worse than gold. Gold is up, I forget the exact percentage, maybe 1% or 2% on the year. So as of this morning, the gold market was outperforming small cap U.S. stocks. Now, you know, who would have thought that, right? With all the publicity, I was on Fox uh, Business last week. You can see the interview uh, on my YouTube channel, Shift Report. But I was on the show and one of the women that I was talking to mentioned, she said, well, you know, given what a horrible year gold has had this year, right? She says a horrible year. And I had to point out that, well, it's not a horrible year. It's basically unchanged. I mean, is that horrible? I mean, flat? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if that's horrible, I mean, there are a lot. Well, how do you describe a lot of other markets that have done a lot worse than unchanged? Uh, but people just assume that gold's been clobbered this year because of all the negative reporting. Well, as of this morning, Gold had done better than small cap U.S. stocks. And in fact, it might even still be doing better than the rut. I'm not sure exactly. It's pretty close a call. So if you're going to say it's been a gold has had a horrible year, then you got to say U.S. small cap stocks have also had a horrible year. But we'll see how the rest of December uh, plays out, because if this gold rally can continue into the end of the year, which is possible. And I bet a lot of people probably were positioned for a lot of tax loss selling. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, if we've already seen the lows, and it's possible that this correction of the stock market, you know, the Dow's up 2,000 points like in the last two months. I mean, kind of crazy optimism. So we get a pullback in the Dow and a continuation of this rally in gold. We'll see. It's possible that gold will actually outperform the Dow Jones for the calendar year 2014. As of now, it hasn't done that. And it's going to take, you know, a lot of uh, movement between now and the end of the year, uh, maybe up another 3 or 4 or 5% in gold and down 3 or 4% or so in stocks. But if that were to happen... And, you know, it's certainly a possibility at this point, we'll see, uh, then gold would have actually outperformed uh, the Dow Jones, not just the small caps, which I think would be very ironic and very fitting, given all of the, uh, the bad publicity that's been out there for gold and all of the good publicity that's out there for the stock market. In fact, one of the reasons I believe there's so much optimism right now about the economy is because of the stock markets. And of course, the stock markets are going up because everybody thinks the economy is going to get better. And now because the stock market is up, people are confident the economy will get better. I mean, it's all it's like all one confidence scheme, you know, on top of another. But meanwhile, the real evidence is that the economy is weakening. And of course, why wouldn't it be weakening? Because the Fed is not providing as much monetary support. The Fed is not pumping as much monetary heroin into the economy. And so the high is wearing off. And that's why I, I think we're going back into recession and why we're going to get, of course, more and more drugs. But right now, it's just this, you know, this feel the dreams recovery. Everybody thinks if they, you know, if they just goose the stock market and if they believe in it strong enough that, you know, the economic gods are going to reward them with a recovery. But, you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, the things that we're doing, money printing, uh, regulating, all the things that the U.S. government is doing, these are not the things that you can build a solid recovery on, that you can build a solid economy on. I mean, you can, you can inflate a bubble uh, with this type of activity, and that's exactly what they've done. 
But we all know what happens to bubbles. They all burst, and of course, we all also know that nobody ever recognizes them in the mainstream until after, until after they burst. Now, also an interesting piece of data that came out are two data points. And I tweeted about this, actually. If you're not following me on Twitter, you know, you, you might want to do that. But when we reported our trade deficit last, last, uh, last week, and I comment on it, it was, you know, our trade deficit for October was much wider than what had been anticipated, which doesn't bode well for fourth quarter GDP. But within that trade deficit, there was a statistic that very few people talked about, and that was the deficit in manufactured goods. And the deficit in manufactured goods hit an all-time record high. So our deficit in manufactured goods, meaning we, the, the number of mount manufactured goods we import versus what we export, was at the highest it's ever been in the history of the country. Now, if we really had this growth in our manufacturing sector and we were gaining these manufacturing jobs like the government claims, why can't we export some of what we're manufacturing? Or why can't we manufacture some stuff and then consume it ourselves instead of having to import what other people manufacture? So we had the, 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 the biggest deficit in manufactured goods. And of course, manufacturing is really the hallmark of an industrial economy, of a developing economy, is the ability to manufacture. We had our biggest deficit. But the media, the day that that trade deficit came out, also the day that the jobs numbers came out, all the articles were about the strength of the U.S. economy, how strong the U.S. economy is. Meanwhile, uh, the other day, China reported its biggest trade surplus ever. Biggest trade surplus in history. Big jump. And it happened, and their, their imports went down a lot, right? But their trade, their trade deficit... Uh, the trade surplus rather expanded. And all the articles describing this were the Chinese economy is weakening. The Chinese economy is weakening. Why? So their surplus is getting bigger, and that's described as a weakening economy. Our deficit gets bigger, and that's des described as a strengthening economy. Again, this is a bizarro world of, you know, black is white, good is bad. I mean, how is that bad that their surplus hit a record? Now, they said, well, you know, their imports are down, so the economy is weak. They're not importing as much stuff. Well, maybe they don't need to import as much stuff because their economy is so strong, they can produce more of what they need themselves, and they don't have to import it from somebody else. They have a surplus, so they're able to pay for all the things they do need, but if they're so productive that they don't need to import as much, that is the hallmark of economic strength. And, of course, one of the reasons that their imports were down is because they import a lot of oil. Well, oil prices are down, so they don't have to spend as much money on, on, on importing oil. So why does that mean that the economy is weak? Look, the fact of the matter is, as the Chinese produce more, the Chinese will consume more. They're going to consume their own production. They're going to start consuming a lot of the things that they're shipping over to America. And I think the Chinese economy, when the Chinese citizens can start to buy all that stuff, that's going to be uh, indic indicative of strength in the Chinese economy when they stop exporting all that stuff to Americans and just consume it themselves. But is that going to mean, oh, the, US econ the Chinese economy is weakening? No. It's going to be the U.S. economy that's collapsing when we're no longer propped up by Chinese products, where the Chinese no longer lend us so much money. But again, it's interesting. It's the same idea that the yen is plunging when it's going up. Japan China reports a record surplus, and that's bad news. Their economy is weak. We report a record, um, a record deficit. And, oh, the U.S. economy is strong. Jim Cramer, oh, it's a miracle. We have an economic miracle. Other people ought to emulate our economic miracle. A miracle of a record trade deficit? Right? I mean, so China, China had an A, and now they get an A+. 
we have an F, and now we got an F minus, and somehow we're the model student. Everybody ought to copy our study habits, and they ought to cheat off of us when they have an exam because, you know, we got this F minus. This stuff is all completely ridiculous. But, of course, you know, when, you know, what's that expression? Like, you know, who the gods would destroy, they, they first made mad, right? And certainly, you know, we're a world gone mad when it comes to understanding of economics and how the markets are reacting uh, to the news that's out there. But in the end, this is all going to end badly for the people who are caught up in it, for the people who can't see uh, the forest for the trees, the people who are thinking straight, who are investing properly, who understand the big picture, their patience will, will be rewarded. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.